Let's, uh, let's jump into our text for this morning. We're working our way through the lectionary, which is um, a preset reading um, plan that's been done for hundreds of years, I think, uh, a long time. So we're reading the same passage as other churches all around the world today, um, which I find nice, right? While we're reading this, we're, we're um, reading with many other people. And it's from the book of Acts 9, 32 to 43. And I'm reading from the NLT, the New Living Translation. Meanwhile, Peter traveled from place to place, and he came down to visit the believers in the town of Lydda. There he met a man named Aeneas, who had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your sleeping mat. And he was healed instantly. Then the whole population of Lydda and Sharon saw Aeneas walking around, and they turned to the Lord. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. About this time, she became ill and died. Her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby in Lydda, so they sent two men to beg him, please come as soon as possible. So Peter returned with them, and as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas had made for them. But Peter asked them all to leave the room, and he knelt and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, get up, Tabitha, and she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then he called in the widows and all the believers, and he presented her to them alive. The news spread throughout the whole town, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed a long time in Joppa, living with Simon, a tanner of hides. So I don't know, maybe you were tracking with us last week when we talked about Saul's encounter on the road to Damascus, right? He, he's knocked off his horse, his high horse, if you want a metaphor, and he meets the Christ, the risen Jesus. And that encounter leads to this transformation of Saul from someone who's murdering people to someone who loves people. Saul was dead, but he was given life. For 14 weeks, uh, we, sta- we focused on these stations of the cross, which are all about death, right? They're, they're about pain and suffering and dying. But that's not the end of our story, right? Our story that we follow is the story of Jesus, the Christ, the one who rose from the dead. So personally, our stories all run this gauntlet of suffering, We all encounter it. Some of us tremendously, some of us not so much, but all of us suffer. And yet, if we look closely, we also see new life all around us, right? Just this week, I mean, you can see the flowers. The grass has grown like crazy in three days. You see life bursting forth, right? That's resurrection, Thank God, right? We can have hope even though we know that there's hard times, that there will be death, that there will be suffering. That God always provides life. It may be a painful journey, but there will be new life. And the book of Acts is really the the birth of the church, right? It's the follower of Jesus 
after the resurrection. In fact, um, we see that, right? Right after uh, Saul's transformation, he's transformed as he encounters the risen Jesus. We see the results of the resurrection again and again all throughout Acts. And Paul was a Pharisee. So Saul, who I was talking about earlier, if you don't know, it's the same guy. Um, Saul turned to Paul. He got a new name. He changed so much he needed a new name. And Paul was a Pharisee. Pharisees didn't, they believed in a future resurrection. So they believed that there would be a judgment day. People would be risen to be judged and then either go to heaven or hell. Sort of. It wouldn't have been the same necessarily as we think. But it, there's an interesting thing with this religious leaders in, in Jerusalem at that time. There's two, two religious groups, one called the Pharisees, which Paul was part of, and then there's this Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees didn't believe in any sort of afterlife. They believed you died, and that was, that was it. I find this incredibly amazing because we criticize the Pharisees and the Sadducees a lot. Like, they're pathetic. Like, they didn't love people. They used their scriptures to hurt people and to, to kick people out. And yet, these two, with completely differing views on something most considered to be of utmost importance, they worked together. They acted in unity. They disagreed and still got along. I feel like we have a lot to learn from that still. So Paul's expectation of resurrection was that of a future event. And yet when he encounters the risen Jesus, when he encounters resurrection, he encounters it now. And then he goes on. Most of his teaching is about the now of resurrection. I think that we too need that expectation, right? Someday, you know, we have this hope that we don't just die and it was all meaningless. That there's something beyond. And we hope that someday we will experience resurrection in eternity, which we usually think to mean when we die and, you know, the rest of all time. But we can experience eternity, resurrection, new life, full life, the kingdom of God, now, we don't have to wait. In Luke 17, 20 to 21, says, One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, When will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, The kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, Here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. We're not waiting for it. It's like resurrection. We don't have to wait for resurrection. It's already here. It's both now and later. Right? To focus only on the later seems to create people, and I find this in myself, when I focus only on the later, we don't need the gifts of God that he's given us now, right? Creation. We can treat creation poorly. Or even our physical bodies. Gifts that God's given us. And sometimes then, also on the adverse, focusing on now sometimes leads to us living without any kind of hope. So we need them both. But this kingdom that Jesus said is already here among you, it's made up of resurrected people, both now and later. 
And Jesus used kingdom language there because resurrection language wasn't there. They wouldn't have understood it, I think. Right? And yet, we can see the results of Jesus' resurrection before he dies. You know that? Actually, we see it all through the Bible, through, through our scriptures. People were healed when Jesus came around. People were raised from the dead. Others found new life by letting go of their love of money or their love of power. You think of Zacchaeus. You know, we don't have to wait for a trumpet sound or Jesus riding on the clouds like so many artists have depicted. It already began with Jesus, the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Life has always been about what God is about, right? And we see it. Right from the beginning, God breathes life into dirt, into us. And then he sustains life with his breath. So the church should be a place of new life. And yes, sometimes death too. The early church was focused around this imagery of baptism, which is imagery of resurrection, right? It's the image of people entering into the story of Christ. They walk the passion. They, they're put under the water, symbolism of being dead. And then they're raised to a new life. When Saul encountered the risen Jesus, it says immediately he was baptized. There's descent into the waters of baptism. There's this, like, we, we, have to, we have to descend. We have to become less than we are. And then we become more than we are when we're resurrected. And that just follows the path of Jesus, too. Philippians 2, 6, 6 to 11 says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you hear the descent? We follow Jesus. He lowered himself to become a slave. Most of us don't want to do that. But we're invited in. We're, we're invited into the descent, right? Following Jesus to the position of a slave to others. Washing people's feet. The dirtiest jobs. Serving others. Sacrificing. Dying to things that don't matter. Keep reading this quote. I think it's someone posted on some social media that the things that matter most don't cost anything. And then when we, we, we move down that path of descent, we move into newness. A place where we bow to Christ, the risen one, where we recognize the resurrection, and then we begin again. The whole process begins again for us. And I feel like for me, I'm continually moving in this, in this pattern, right? I'll recognize Jesus as the risen one. I'll, I'll give up something. So I let go of something that has a hold on me, and I die to that part of myself, which helps me to recognize that Jesus is resurrected, so then I have to die to something else, 
and I'm continually moving from descent to ascent to descent to ascent. It's continual. And it's beautiful if we let it be. Sometimes it's painful. I'm convinced that the church needs to be a place of both the path of descent and ascent, right? Remembering that we do walk through the valley of the shadow of death and we follow the creator who breathes life. Acts tells this story of Jesus' followers given new life. You know, Luke writes two books, right? Luke is the writer of Acts, but he also wrote a first, first book called Luke. Well, we call it Luke. He probably didn't. He writes the gospel, Luke, that tells the story of Jesus' life, his death. And he only, only devotes one chapter to the resurrection. Most of the story is about just the ordinary, well, not quite ordinary life of Jesus, but just his regular life, and then the suffering. Just a short put on the, on the resurrection. But then in Acts, he goes on to write to his friend, about the effects of the resurrection, about this, the effects of that single chapter for those that encounter the risen Jesus. The first chapter of Acts begins with ascension. And then the disciples focus on the sharing of new life. And in this week's past, passage, we see Peter. Talk about transformation, eh? Not that long ago, we, we talked about Peter in the courtyard. He's in a dark place. He denies his good friend. He denies that he even knows him so that he doesn't look like he's associated with him because he's afraid. He warms himself by a fire while his friend is beaten and mocked. And three times he tells people, I don't even know him. And then Peter encounters the risen Jesus. And he's given new life. One, the one that denied Jesus, the one that gives life, now seems to breathe with the very breath of life himself, right? We see him encounter Aeneas. Aeneas is lying there, unable to move. He's paralyzed. And maybe Peter saw himself lying there. Maybe he saw himself in the courtyard denying Jesus. He knows that he has been healed. He knows that Jesus was able to give him new life. And so he says to Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. There's an interesting problem that we encounter, though, when we talk about this, right? Because we say that Jesus has conquered death. So we see, we see new signs of life in Peter. We see new signs of life in Saul. And yet we're reminded that even though death is defeated, we still live with the reality that people die. Tabitha is dead in the story, and she's mourned by many. Hmm. I feel like the church is called to live in this tension. The tension of life and death, of Death being conquered and not understanding it fully. I may be experiencing death and you might be experiencing new life. And yet we still need to get along. 
Maybe that tension is needed. Maybe while I struggle with pain, I see my sister who is living new life and I'm reminded that God is about life. And maybe my sister looks back at me from her eyes of new life and she's reminded that there's pain too. Tabitha is raised to life. But of course she dies again. She's not still with us. Her story is a reminder to us that resurrection life flows in us. It flows in Peter. Peter experienced the resurrection power. He knew that it wasn't just for him to hold onto, you know. Often we like to hold on to things. He knew that people didn't actually wield that power, but simply became a conduit for the life of Christ. That's why he says, Jesus, the Christ heals you. He didn't say, I healed you. And he allows the life of Christ to flow through him. I've heard stories of people, um, churches that I've been to, where they went to the morgue to try to raise people from the dead. Literally. Um, I kind of admire their faith. By the way, it didn't happen. Um, but I often desire to see that, right? I often des desire to see the miracles that we hear about in Scripture. I, I, I feel like it would make my faith stronger. In fact, I, I kind of wish I had the kind of faith that would even try sometimes, you know? I'm not even willing to try to perform those miracles. And, and I do believe that God can and will continue to do crazy things for us and for people. I just know that it would be a terrible thing if I did perform them. My ego would not be able to handle that. And, and while I may never be in that place that I would be able to handle that kind of attention, God calls me into resurrection life. Life that flows through me into others. You know, encountering the risen Christ changes us. We are invited into the resurrection life, and it simply must overflow. Right? We read this morning, the psalmist says, my cup overflows. That's what this life is. So the question for us today might be, where or how does life spill out of me? How does life flow from this community we've chosen to call our community? Where do we see God at work? Where do we see him creating new life? This week I was reminded of this, um, that people and communities who encounter the risen Christ, new life is evident, even if we don't see it ourselves. A, a volunteer who's pretty new, she's only been here about a month, uh, she came to me, and she asked me about why Royal City Mission does what we do for the community, or with the community. And she told me that she never had a high opinion of anyone that was religious. That she'd never been in a church. And she thanked me for showing her that not all religious people were bad. She thanked us for changing her mind on religious people. And I believe in a small way that that volunteer experienced the flow of resurrection, the life that God pours into us. There was a, a, quite a tension in how I felt about the comment, 
Because in one way, it felt good to hear that, you know, we had changed their mind that not all religious people are bad. And on the other, on the other side, I was saddened that the church is not known for that, that religious people are not known as good people. How terrible is that? Most often, we won't see Tabitha get up from the deathbed. We won't. We might go to the Morgan faith and still no one will rise. And yet, I believe that the God who breathed life into creation and who breathed life into the dead Jesus continues to breathe life into all people, actually. And we are simply witnesses to that life. After the last two years of death that it seems to have been, I have a question for you this morning that I I would love for you to answer. I've got a mic. You can answer. Where do you see God at work? Where do you see his life spilling forth in you and somebody else? Where have you experienced the resurrection life? I'll bring you a mic if you want to share. Yeah, awesome, Anne, thanks. I see resurrection through my grandchildren and especially my, sorry, my latest one. Um, She's 18 months old. And every day when I'm with her, I see something new that she's discovering and that she's expressing. And it just boggles my mind that this little creature is filled with wonderment and is extremely intelligent. And only that can come from God. Um, so, uh, Bert and I are Joel's parents, and many of you know us and, or have seen us. Uh, we still live in Chatham, Ontario, and um, in December we sold our house and moved into a very small rental. And it was quite the journey. It was our 31st move in almost 55 years of marriage. Um, but parting with things that I, I didn't realize I had attached myself to and praying that God would give us the grace to part with things and we're still parting with things to prepare for a smaller transition to a smaller unit in Guelph next year. Um, it was eye-opening because I realized that I had put a lot of emphasis on things in my life without really realizing it. And um, it was so freeing and grace-giving, and we have found that we actually love living in the smaller space, meeting new people, a lot of people that uh, don't have it very well, you know, financially, and they're so loving and gracious we're just appreciating the journey God has brought us to. It's life-giving. And we're looking to a future, moving forward, rather than living in the past. And uh, we just thank God for, for all that he's done. And he's used Joel and Christy in a very big way in this. So we just praise him for that. Um, <clears throat> there was still snow on the ground, and I was stuck in the bank of Montreal parking lot. And uh, there was a, one of the guests from the community here um, 
was looking at me through the fence that separates the two properties. And within 30 seconds, he was around that fence and in front of my vehicle. And we had never seen each other before, but he just took the time out of his life to, um, to help me in a moment of need. So that was the, the cup of cold water. And the thought that lingered with me was that those kinds of opportunities uh, present themselves to us daily. And, uh, and I'm very thankful that that person helped me at that time. May have saved me a, a heart attack or some such thing. You, you might be thinking, well, those are, those are little things, just little things like, um, you know, a, a, a granddaughter or a move. That's exactly the point, that God is present in the little things. We got a dog recently. This dog has been such new life for me. It's been incredible and, and a pain in the butt to you. But uh, if we can find God in those little things, um, I just think it will change us, right? If we can find new life in the little things, um, sure, the big things too, the sun rising, that, sometimes we think that's little, but the sun rising again today, that is a pretty big deal. <laughs> you know, we'd be in big trouble <laughs> if it didn't. Um, thank you for sharing. Let's just pray as we close and, and uh, send you on your way. God, thank you that you are a God who pours life out that each person here is made in your image, in your likeness, and you've breathed life into them. Give us eyes to see where that breath goes, how it passes through us, and how it's passing through others. I pray that you would show us resurrected life this week in ourselves and in those around us. Change us, make us new. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Now go and enjoy the amazing day outside. Go in the name and the peace and the love and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.